This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of Remnant Radio. Today, we're talking about, I don't know, not touching the Lord's anointed, how to confront, uh, you know, teachings we disagree with. Is it okay? What hoops do you have to jump through? It's going to be an exciting episode. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Welcome, everybody. We've got a fun program for you today. Uh, Man, there's just... The music's still jam worthy. I don't. Do y'all do this when y'all are? Because I can see off off camera here when Michael and Michael are listening to the intro music, they are just like dancing like it was 1984. Um, anyway, uh, that's when they their hips used to hop. Anyway, uh, guys, if you're out there and you love Remnant Radio and you want to support the channel, you can give in the links in the description. Uh, there are one time links for PayPal. You can give a gift there, or you can choose to give on Patreon. As those five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content. Without further ado, I want to introduce you to the fellows whose hips no longer hop. Uh, that is uh, Michael Rountree right there and Michael Miller. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, guys, how are y'all doing? Uh, you, you know what that made me think of? But I this will just age me. Night of the Roxbury. Do you remember that, Josh? Were you born when that came out? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no clue what you're talking about. Oh my gosh. Some of our was that, yeah, was that on that. black and white or was that was that color uh, entertainment? Is that, yeah, that was Charlie Chaplin way back in the day. Is it, was uh, it radio-based, Michael? It was 90s. It was 90s. Shout out to the 90s. Okay. All right. So Saturday Night Live. Uh, I think the guy's name was Chris Catan, something like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, so for the record, Miller and I don't jam at all during – I don't even know what Josh was talking about. But um, Oh, I jam every <laughs> week. I, I go crazy, actually. Okay. But uh, <laughs> we're doing good over here in the Oklahomas. How about you over there in the Colorado, uh, Michael Miller? Uh, I was actually just telling some, somebody said that they were watching from Denver. I'm like, hey, I'm in a basement in Denver. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, oh man, I'm doing good, man. I I just got off a. I had a week. Well, I guess just just under a week vacation in the Dominican Republic. Got to practice my Spanish and wasn't hang out a very strong and, vacation. Yeah, it was awesome, man. We I, I literally went from. <laughs> The bed to the hammock to the beach, back to bed every day for like five days straight. And and then, that uh, sounds pretty. Yeah, yeah, I, dude, I I slept a full eight nine hours every night, which hasn't happened in forever. So it was it was good wonderful. Good. Well, it's good to have you back, Miller. Yeah. All right, so yeah. we're talking about do not touch the Lord's anointed. Josh, you want to oh, kick us off? We got to mention we got to mention the conference before. Oh we yeah, do we this, do. Because we've only got. Uh, what 30 like 40 spots, left? spots? Yeah, 30 40 spots left. If you haven't checked it out, you need to go register right now. March 2nd through the 4th is the Remnant 2023 conference. We're going to be covering healing and deliverance. There are links in the description. Uh, like Miller said, I think there's only 30 spots left, so you need to go book those as soon as possible if you want to be a part of those conferences. Um, Over there in Statesville, yep, North Carolina. Yeah. Go check it out. So yeah. Michael, as you said, today we're talking about not touching the Lord's anointed. You might notice that the thumbnail has got a couple of key figures in the charismatic movement. Um, this isn't addressing those individuals at all, but uh, often what happens when we disagree with any kind of teaching or doctrine, especially in the charismatic space, we have people jump on and say, hey, don't touch the Lord's anointed, typically only when it's addressing individuals who have status, who have uh, influence in the charismatic movement and the people on the thumbnail that we uploaded uh, seem to have status and influence when it comes to the charismatic influence space. So that, that's why we used their photos. We're not going to be addressing specific teachings or doctrines from any of those guys uh, or girls. So um, 
we're going to start off with not touching the Lord's anointed. This is often said uh, uh, when you disagree with someone uh, in the charismatic space. Michael Miller, who uh, had a you know a, a, a bad experience with his church, uh, uh, what was that? Two years ago, Michael? Was that three years ago? Something like that? Dude, that was almost four years ago now. Oh, it was geez, three and a half. Geez. It was in February of 2019 when I got fired, and then we did a video on it in uh may of 2021 that's that's what i'm thinking of yeah Yeah. two years ago when we did the response video and people were constantly telling you hey don't touch the lord's anointed people i had i had one pastor from that church uh you know he watched the video we met he said man you know i i agree with everything in your video but you know I, i still wouldn't have done it and i said why not he says well you know the scriptures say don't touch the lord's anointed and I said, are you accusing me of murder uh, or attempted murder? And he's like, no. And I'm like, well, that's what that verse is about. And he was like, well, I, no, that's not what it's about. Or it, it could apply here. And I'm like, really? How? Explain to me how this applies. So let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a couple places where touch not the Lord's anointed can come up. Uh, you've got uh, first, I'm sorry, Psalms 105, 12 through 15. Uh, and there is an exact um, replication of this in Chronicles uh, 16, 19 through 22. That's yeah. a song. Um, do, you want me to, do you want me to read yeah, it? Absolutely. Josh? Go for it. Okay. Here's the, uh, the Psalm 105, okay? The section, I'll start with verse 12. And, and the whole thing, I mean, in, in my Bible, Psalm 105 is titled, Tell of All His Wonderful Works. And so the psalm is reviewing great works of God and the things that he's done and his judgment in all the earth and his covenant with Abraham, etc. And in verse 12, he says, when they were few in number, so he's talking about Israel now, of little account and sojourn, so, sojourners in it, that is in the promised land, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, uh, uh, to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Okay, so in the context, God's doing a great thing. And what is he doing? He's protecting his people. He's protecting his prophets. He's protecting kings. And uh, and so this really isn't a verse that people should use to say, hey, you can't have constructive feedback for a leader. It actually doesn't have anything to do with that. So Miller, uh, this is why you responded, you know, are you accusing me of murder? Because, you know, touch, touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm was a warning to pagan nations not to kill or oppress God's people. And yeah. so, uh, so anyway, so there's the context for that. And as much as anything, I think what's important for us here at Render Radio is that we teach people that when we read the scripture, we don't just get to hijack a verse uh, from its context and make it mean whatever we want to. And it's not just charismatics that do this. Uh, everyone can do it. And uh, and so we just have to read the context and say, is that really actually what the verse means? So yeah, go, go uh, read Josh, Psalm 105. Yeah. If you're, if you're out there, go read Psalm 105. It will tell in song form, the history of Israel, starting with when God told Kings not to touch Abraham. It's a direct quote from Genesis uh, chapter 20, verse six. Um, so it, it's clear that touch not the Lord's anointed in this specific context has is, is a song talking about Abraham in Genesis 20, verse six. So go check out that passage, read the whole thing. You'll be able to see those parallels. He talks about Joseph, talks about Moses, talks about the, the children of Israel and kind of walks through their history uh, in, in a song form. So uh, the next passage that we have uh, is first Samuel chapter 20. Uh, sorry, verse Samuel chapter 24, verses 5 through 7. This is a, a popular passage that you might be familiar with where David, you know, cuts out the cloth or the corner of the king's uh, robes uh, and, and says, hey, I should not touch the Lord's anointed. Again, uh, about murder. Does any, anybody want to jump in there and, and read that passage there? Miller, you're muted. Miller, my guy. We, we want to give you a turn, Miller. Oh, that's sweet of you. Uh, yeah, I'll read it. <laughs> uh, verse, so First Samuel 24, verse 5 through 7. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to the men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Well, there you have it. Same so, context. And this right. repeats unnecessarily to repeat, but it's First Samuel 26, 9 through 11. Uh, again, over and over, every time touching the Lord's anointed 
is used in context of doing physical harm uh, or murdering an individual who is is anointed by God. Now, this brings into a question that I think is necessary for us for discussion. Um, if God is using people, should we be careful? I mean, let's just maybe he's not even using people if they are the people of God in any context, if they are the people of God, should we be careful about the things that we say about those people? Uh, <clears throat> yes, I, I do think you can actually take that principle. I don't know what's going on with our internet connection here. It looks a little fuzzy to me. I look like that, uh, the Bigfoot, you, you know, good. like in the 1970s video. Okay, am I good on yours? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, you're fine yeah. on our end. <laughs> sure. All right, in my video, I'm fuzzy then. Um, anyway, uh, well, man, now I lost where I was. Um, Oh, well, I was going to say that I, I do think that you can extrapolate out like, okay, in the Old Testament, uh, the Lord's anointed was the king and you were not supposed to harm physically the king and you were supposed to, uh, you were supposed to honor everyone, but there was a special honor to somebody who was in leadership. I think that the New Testament equivalent for this guys would be first uh, Timothy chapter five, where it says, do not, uh, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the testimony of two or three witnesses so you would not want to just like catch wind of something your pastor did or something an elder did or some church leader in your church and just start spreading it to the four winds you would you wouldn't want to do that you would want to make sure <clears throat> excuse me uh that you had sufficient intel if if you will and the, the biblical standard consistently through the Old Testament is, and the New is two to three witnesses. So, no, we should not be willy-nilly uh, with special information. And there is a place for protecting and watching over those who are in leadership. I, I don't think we want to throw our leaders under the bus. So I think we want to honor them. So I, I do think there can be some extrapolation of these verses. What do you guys think? Uh, there, there was a story when I lived in St. Elmo. And again, I... It, it feels almost like folklore, um, but if if I recall the story, I have to probably reach out to Jake and get all the details for it, but um, it, I think it was the Methodist pastor comes into a church, and uh, he is there ministering. He just is one of his transplant because, you know, they move in every five years or something like that, so Methodist pastor comes in. The guys who really own the church, this family that owns the church, just doesn't want this guy here, and uh, apparently these, I think there's eight of them they're like deacons in the church like locked the door after service one 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 sunday and they beat the pastor um and in legend has Jeez. it legend has it that all of these guys like nine months later had died or were in mental institutions like uh i think that there are some like legit don't touch the lord anointed sort of things uh, i think that Man, if uh, if Don't if, beat up if you pastor. put to, if you put to death someone who serves God, I think God protects his kids. I think that's a real thing. I think it's a real principle. I think that when it comes to our speech. I don't want to just speak rightly of Christians and Christian leaders. I just want to speak rightly. Like it has nothing to me. It has nothing to do with whether they're a Christian or a non-Christian. Like I shouldn't bear false witness. I shouldn't slander. I should never make an accusation without evidence. So mm -hmm. that's part of being a Christian. Um, so it's more to me about we don't honor people because they're honorable. We honor people because we're honorable. That was a, a phrase that I picked up in, in high school from a, a youth speaker. But we want to we want to speak in a way that is true of the nature that we have as Christians, not just showing honor to people who are Christians. I wouldn't want to bear false witness against a nonbeliever, you know, um, that that wouldn't be wise either. But I do think that there is a measure of protection that God has over his kids. And um, man, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to play with it personally. Um, Miller, you got any thoughts? No, I, I think I'm, I think <laughs> I'm, I'm, this is all, all this, this whole topic is personal for me. So it's like, I'm trying to sift through my own sure. stuff, even on the spot. But I think what we're talking about is, is there a place to not commit physical acts of violence, uh, against somebody? And I'd go, well, that, that should be true across the board. As Christians, we shouldn't be committing physical acts of violence. I think the the problem that we're seeing is that this verse is being used to protect speaking about leaders, and that's kind of why we had these these pictures on the the um, graphic for this today's show, because um, there's a sense in which people see those three people as anointed leaders, and to say something negative uh, about them, people would use that and say, hey, look, it's a, use that scripture and say, hey, look, you shouldn't talk about these people in a negative way. 
And the problem that I think we're seeing is that it seems like if we repeat something or if we share something that's negative about someone or negative about someone's teaching, then that automatically gets deemed as wrong gossip um, or if it's a lie, which would be rightly called slander. But um, to repeat anything at all or to point something out, then that gets demonized and seen as uh, you're going to open yourself up to demonic attack uh, by doing that. Would you guys agree with that? Hmm. It's a good question. I, I I don't I don't know that I have any specific thoughts. Roundtree, open yeah, yourself up to I demonic mean, attacks because <laughs> of attacking or because of saying uh, something bad. I have, because of saying things, and that's that. the problem. I mean, I have been told that before. I have been told, like, hey, if you say something negative about this person, say on Remnant Radio, demons are coming after you. I yes, people have told me that before. <laughs> I've never been told that. That's wild. Really? Well, well no, um, I, I've been told the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I, go ahead. Man, which friends do you guys I, have I don't who don't care about me? They're all warning you guys, but they're like, ah, Josh needs a couple <laughs> demons on his back. And they're like, I'll warn or, Michael or, or Michael, they just, but not they just see Josh, Josh is hopeless. Yeah, maybe they gave up. They're like, he's already oh, got man. demons. They're, they're oh, just... man. It's like Josh keeps calling them devils. Uh, yeah, he, yeah he but honestly, no, I don't. I don't think that's like the norm. But it's it's definitely been done before. Um, I, I think what we have to just parse out here is when, if ever, is it appropriate to bring something publicly constructive of anyone in leadership? I think that's the question. And so, how do we answer that question? We have to look through some other verses. And I mean, one place to start is Matthew 18, because Matthew chapter 18, um, this is Jesus. He has five long discourses, speeches in uh, in the book of Matthew. He's got the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, then he has uh, he has the, the missions discourse, Matthew 10. Then Matthew 13 is the parables. Matthew, man, I really wasn't planning on saying this, but... <laughs> uh, hey, he's kind of anyway, showing off got now. The, Eight, chapter 18 is the community discourse, and then 24 is the end times discourse. Anyway, so he has five speeches that match the five books of the Pentateuch, interestingly enough, um, because Jesus is a new Moses. Anyway, but that was all for free. Uh, in the community discourse of Matthew 18, Jesus is, is going to instruct us in what does life in the community look like? And it's the verse where he says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won, uh, you've won your brother. But if they will not listen, take it two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. We've already talked about that today. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen to them, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth uh, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um in context, that's a church discipline verse about binding and loosing. It has nothing to do with casting out demons. Right. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll just kind of focus on verses 15 to 17 specifically because he, Jesus gives you protocol for conflict resolution in the church. Your brother sins against you, do this, then take it to this level, then take it to this level. The goal, keep in mind, is not discipline. The goal is restoration and reconciliation. That's where this is headed. But if the person refuses to repent... You can't have true relational restoration, and so that brings about church discipline. But even in church discipline, the real goal is a restoration. And so, uh, and so, Josh Miller, what role does Matthew 18 have in deciding whether or not it's ever appropriate to bring something constructive to a public teacher or a public teaching? Is is your brother or or sister sinning against you, like? Is it incumbent upon anyone who brings anything public to go directly to that teacher? Or can they, can you just make videos on YouTube? Can you just write papers? Can you just like, what does this look like in the public sphere? So my, my policy on this, I think has been, if it's publicly given, then it's publicly open for critique and correction. Now, the problem with using Matthew 18 for public critique is Matthew 18 is talking about sin, not necessarily a teaching that's not true or practices that are unhealthy um, in a church or unbiblical. Um, and so this is, this is one person being sinned against by another person in Matthew 18. Now, uh, 
and I, I have some other thoughts on this because it's not necessarily referring to confronting an elder of a church, though an elder is also just a member. They are still are, at the end of the day, a brother in Christ. Um, but when it comes to a public teaching, if you put something out there publicly, then it there's sort of free reign to publicly disagree. Um, and I, I think that's the nature of it. This is part of the reason why I'm really hesitant to put uh, – teachings from my church on a public podcast that people from all over can listen to because on some level, like I feel that weight of conviction and, uh, and I think I get enough public critique on this podcast. And so I didn't necessarily <laughs> want that. Uh, you know, I, I certainly <laughs> want it from my members, but these are people I'm in relationship with. So, uh, does that make sense? No, it does. I, I think that additionally, when we, when we look at these passages, we, we need to think in the context of like what what what's in in Matthew eighteen. It, we have to ask this question: like, is is uh, any kind of bad teaching or or incorrect teaching a fault? That's not at all what's taking place here. M- Michael said it just a second ago. This is sin. This is church discipline. This is an aim for restoration, and and this is aimed at one individual who's off doing something. So like, let's say someone is committing adultery and you happen to have some inside information, you know that. So you go to that person, you say, hey, you got to stop committing adultery. Like God commands you not to do this. And they're like, no, I'm going to keep on doing this. Well, would you see who it's affecting? It's affecting one person, maybe the other people around that they're, they're committing adultery with or against their wife, you know, like all of these different things. So it's, it's affecting a, a group of individuals, but almost still, it's still almost privately. The thing is, is when this stuff begins to flesh out, it becomes a cancer on the body of Christ because people are watching a Christian brother act this way. That's when this has to be a public discipline situation, right? But but also yeah. when he come, comes to teaching, we're not trying to just help one individual because Matthew 18 is like, let me help the one individual who's in sin. I want to restore that person. Public teachings are affecting public audiences. So it's not just one person's platform I'm worried about. It's all of the other people that are being led astray. So like, imagine like if, if uh, we've, we've, we've been very vocal about Kat Kerr and she's kind of one of the more extreme individuals who, you know, you know, I pray for because I'm, I'm concerned about Kat, right? I'm concerned about her as an individual, but additionally, she's affecting a large swath of people out inside of Christendom and on the internets. And, and I don't just want to see Kat restored. I want to see all of the people who are following her not, not spin out into her delusion. Does that make sense? Like Matthew 18 yeah. does seem more private and localized, and that's why it's being addressed this way. Whereas a public teaching is affecting a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, Josh. And, um, and, and you can see this play out, and we'll look at some verses in both the Old and New Testament in just a moment, where public teachings, public prophecies, things of this nature are addressed in a public manner. Um, but before we get to that, I just want to uh, completely affirm what you're saying, Josh, that that if you have a, if there's a church leader who says, hey, you didn't, you didn't follow the prescription of Matthew chapter 18. And by the way, go back and watch our episode with Scott McKnight on a church called Tov. Tov means good in Hebrew. And, uh, and he talks about the way Matthew 18 has been abused by abusive church leaders to say everything has got to run through me. And so these, you know, victims of abuse are ended up ending up being sort of coerced into a private conversation with an abusive leader, which itself becomes like a, a, a sort of like resubjecting them to abuse. But in, in this case specifically, Matthew 18, like you said, Josh, this is if your brother sins against you. This is not if you hear a public teaching in the public sphere. That's a very different thing. That's not someone sinning against you. And so, uh, and so we just have to. Now, what I would say is, is also this: if the heart of Matthew eighteen is peace and reconciliation, then whatever confronting that we do, it should come from that kind of heart. Right. And one of the things, Josh and Michael, that we're always talking about on the show, or with some regularity, is that 
we never want to become one of those discernment ministries that they only exist to tell you what's wrong with everyone else. And it kind of places yourself on this pedestal. Like everyone else has problems except me and my, I exist to say that person's a heretic and that person's a heretic and that person's a heretic. And I just remember reading Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, uh, book, uh, on preaching. And he just talks about this and he said, there's this fantastic preacher. And honestly, I can't remember what, what his name was, but he's kind of forgotten the time. Uh, this fantastic preacher that got onto this, like always picking fights with these other people. And this is wrong with their doctrine and that's wrong with their doctrine. And, and he said, I tried to appeal to him uh, and it just didn't work, but he just said, I saw his influence just shrink and shrink. And so that's not, that's not what we want to be either. And there, there's got to be this space where it's like, okay, there is a time to speak up, to do so in a kind hearted and a respectful way but to actually speak up and to not fall into this pit of becoming one of those, I just throw stones at other people kinds of ministries. So we got to yeah, do that somehow. There's a, there's this, this fine line of walking of like, I want to see people restored, but at the same time, I want to be obedient to scripture and not be a coward, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's really important. Cowards are the first one that's thrown into the lake of fire. And, and I just go, man, don't be a coward, have a backbone, stand up for truth. It's a big deal. Yeah. And, and truth well, is under attack. That, the, the very fact that Jesus is called the, the logos, the word, the, there's nothing, I mean, that, that is supposed to encapsulate on some level. What is true is what is Christ. Like he is the truth. Um, and so the idea that a believer, I mean, coming to faith to begin with starts with being honest and truthful about your own sin. And so for those of us who, who call ourselves brothers in Christ, disciples of Christ and in the faith, like we are, we are people who walk in the light and are truth tellers by very nature. And so to, to uh, speak in any other way that would either omit truth or like, so fail, failure to speak up, I would call that a sin of omission, uh, or that would um, tell things or spin things in such a way that you're not actually telling the whole truth. Um, that, that is actually the opposite of what Christian life is supposed to be like, uh, or to walk in the light. And it, and it doesn't yeah. emulate the very thing that Christ is called the truth. Right. That's good, no, that's good. Uh, when Paul says in Ephesians 5 that we're to walk as children of light, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So that's the first part. So don't do dark things. Don't live in the darkness. He says, but instead expose them for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. And sadly, we've seen a lot of hiding of things, uh, both from Christian leaders and from people who felt like they had a biblical responsibility to hide the sins of, quote unquote, the Lord's anointed mm -hmm. so as not to expose them. And then it actually perpetuated the problem. Mm -hmm. And so do we want to be kind? Yes. Do we want to be loving? Yes. Do we want to aim for restoration? Yes. But to Josh's point, we must have courage. I love what uh, C.S. Lewis says about courage. He says, courage is not so much just a virtue, but uh it, actually, I have it here. It's the form. Courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means nice. at the point of highest reality. So if you if you want to truly love, there's going to be a time when you have to show courage in order to love. If you want to show kindness, there's going to be a time when you have to show courage in order to show kindness, which I think uh, I think Josh is why cowardice is the first in that list of Revelation 21 people thrown into the lake of fire. They're just afraid. That's it, man. And, and so, there, there's a couple of verses here that we can kind of run through quickly. And some of these you'll notice are going to be just straight unbelievers. And, and others are going to be believers or the people of God, depending on how you want to defer, determine that or define that, uh, who are being opposed to their face publicly with 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 wrongdoing. And this is throughout the Old Testament. This is throughout the life of Jesus, the life of the apostles. Uh, this happens quite a bit in the scriptures. And it, so we're not, we're not just jumping up here saying, hey, we should be able to confront teachings and disagree with things. But over and over throughout the Bible, there is public confrontation of people's either sin or poor teaching. Uh, it happens all the time in the Bible. Um, you know, Nehemiah rebukes the nobles of his day for selling, selling his kinsmen into slavery in Nehemiah 5, 6 through 8. Uh, you know, Elijah, the prophets of Baal, certainly unbelievers, 
but but he talks some trash there. John the Baptist talking to Pharisees, right? He calls them snakes who told you to flee from the coming wrath in Matthew 3, verse 7. Um, so over and over, and um, those are Old Testament prophets, you have people coming to people and confronting them about their doctrine, Pharisees fleeing from the coming wrath, or their lifestyle selling people into slavery or, or false worship. Um, it's it's difficult when coming to the Old Testament and talking about teachings that we're looking at specifically and identifying, but it's much easier in the life of Paul and much easier in the life of Jesus and others. So some of those examples are not as robust as the ones that you'll get from the life of Jesus and Paul. Uh, do one of you guys want to take a stab at those other ones? Go ahead, Michael. I'm, I'm collecting some thoughts here. Well, I, I've okay, got sure. There's, I, there's I got stuff one. I'm not so sure how to respond Nehemiah, to. So I think the Nehemiah one is actually pretty robust. Uh, Nehemiah five. Um, you know, so he's very angry. He's heard when he hears this. Oh yeah, Nehemiah's a good one. Yeah, uh, and I took counsel with myself, brought charges against the nobles. So you mentioned that, Josh. Uh, so you know, they're exacting interest, selling the brother their brothers into slavery. You know, all this. And he says, I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And and they were silent and could not find a word to say. And so Nehemiah is an example of a, of a great leader. And what he's doing here is it, the, the way the story is told is like, hey, this is what leadership does. It it goes after sin. And in this case, it does confront the sin publicly. Now, does Nehemiah have no kindness and no compassion in his heart? Uh, quite the contrary. He has loads of kindness and loads of compassion in his heart for his brothers who are being sold into slavery. There, and there is. is a place, there is a place for publicly addressing sin. We don't want to major in it in such a way, like the example I shared with Martin Lloyd Jones and uh, we don't want to become the the stonecasters, and that's just our whole ministry. But we we must have courage, and we must be children of light, and must be willing to expose if it's going to save other people. That's I think the key. Uh, yeah. So there were several examples with uh, with Jesus. Did you want to walk through those, Josh? Yeah, I got one of them wrong, and I, I caught it just now. So I'm glad you didn't read those off. But like uh, Jesus in Matthew twenty three seven calls them white. Uh, washed tombs full of dead men's bones saying that the outside looks really good but the inside is far from god that's a public rebuke uh, and matthew uh, 16 23 is where P uh, jesus rebukes peter because peter's saying hey you know you're not going to the cross you're not going to die and he goes it'll never be and then jesus in front of the other disciples turns to peter and rebukes him publicly peter loves getting rebuked publicly it's like it's like part of his mo as an apostle uh jesus calls herod a fox publicly which by the way not a compliment uh, in Luke uh, 13, 32. Uh, and, and Jesus warns his disciples about t uh, the teachings of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Pharisees in Matthew 16, 6. So that's specifically a teaching thing. And he's not addressing the Pharisees directly in Matthew 16, 6. He's talking directly to his disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And this happens over and over in the Gospels. Well, uh, I would say that in there. The, way that, well, the way that people define gossip today but just by the way that people define gossip, I'm not saying that this is true of the Lord, but by the way that people define gossip today, Jesus would be um, guilty of he that. Be, he would be a gossip. Right. Yeah, he would be gossip because if he's talking to his disciples rather than talking to the Pharisees directly, well, that's gossip. You shouldn't talk about somebody when they're not in the room. And I think they're, they're, that's a failure to properly define what gossip is and what it isn't. So gossip doesn't mean you're talking about somebody not in the room and talking and sharing something negative about them. Gossip is trying to punish that person with your words when they're not in the room. It's meant to elevate you and bring them down. It's not just about repeating the sins that they're committing or warning people about those people and their sins. What do you guys think about that? Would you agree with that definition of gossip? Hmm. Well, I'm I'm kind of thinking about it, Miller. Um, I I don't think believers should just go around talking about the sins of other believers with all their friends. Do you? Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't say so either. But if you're uh, telling somebody, "Hey, this thing happened," or "This thing happened to me," uh, then it, it, that's quite different than just repeating their mistakes for everybody to hear. Because again, the intent is involved. Wouldn't you agree? 
Like if you're going around telling this to all of your friends, are you doing that to make yourself feel better and make that person look bad? Or are you just simply telling your story? Does that make sense? Yeah, man. Uh, uh, Roundtree is looking for a Bible verse, I can tell, because I see this little thumbnail of his camera looking. So I'm going to let him look for that Bible verse as I I, uh, answer that question to the best of my ability. Feel free to push back on it, because I do think uh, things are being called gossip that should not be called that. But there should be parameters on what we share and who we share it with. Yes. And and I I think that there is, we can say without question, it is unwise to toss pearl before swine, you know, and that certainly has to do with teachings. Um, But I think that the principle there can also pertain to um, talking about a situation that went awry, that went incorrectly, talking about it to people in certain contexts that won't cause any benefit. Uh, If anything, will just cause bitterness to spread. And the Bible talks about not being quarrelsome and not being divisive. And I do think that there needs to be some measure of wisdom when applying to these situations. So like if I'm going to go talk to another leader and and I'm trying to reconcile a situation or I'm talking to a counselor uh, or a friend of mine and I'm like trying to to make sense of what I've gone through and trying to make sense of my pain rather than I was done so wrong and and in, intentionally trying to sow discord, you know, uh, it's one thing when, it, again, it's uh, you've been defamed publicly, right? But nobody knows why. And you're you're exposing why that happened. That's that's it. That's kind of what you've gone through, Miller, is, is there was this mm-hmm. public thing that happened. Nobody know what, what happened. And you're kind of bringing it into the light. And it has to do with your name. That's a that's a thing. Um, but it's another thing, you know, to, to walk around and spread a true statement that will do nothing but divide, cause backbiting and quarreling. There just needs to be some measure of wisdom. And, and I think that's one of the areas where where we as Christians just have to be led by the spirit. Uh, and I, I think it would be much easier if we had a checklist of, of when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. But I just I think wisdom is required here. Mm-hmm. Roundtree. You find your Bible verse? I, I think that, uh, well, there's a few, but I, when the scripture talks about gossip, it tends to really focus. I mean, sometimes they're called a talebearer or a whisperer. Um, it, the idea is like, I'm not supposed to be talking about this, but I'm going to share this for the gratification it brings me mm-hmm. to be the one imparting to you this secret news. Uh, so Proverbs eleven thirteen, he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals matter. Uh, seventeen nine. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Twenty nineteen. Uh, he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets; therefore, do not associate with a gossip. Uh, Twenty five nine to ten. Don't reveal the secret of another, lest he hears it. Uh, he who hears it reproach you, and the evil report of, about you not pass away. Um, so, so guys, what do we do with this? I, I think that the scripture. Uh, it does. I mean, I can think of a situation where I was in, where I used to quote Proverbs seventeen nine, like he who covers a transgression seeks or promotes love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Like I, I mean, I knew of some secret sins of a leader that I, I didn't tell people because I thought of that verse and I wanted to be obedient to the scripture. And, um, and yet some of the things he was doing were, well, I, I don't know how much detail to get in here, but um, <laughs> it can get a little hairy. I'm Warned going against to say, gossiping while gossiping all the way through. Well, that, that verse of scripture is, it can be used to hide sins. It can oh, be certainly. used it can. To, certainly. to keep uh, abusive people in power where they can continue to abuse others. Right. So, And, and this I think, is, this the, is, I the think the word gossip gets thrown out a lot to, to continue to protect abusive leaders. I, so here's Miller, I think the key, because I, I, I don't think Proverbs 17.9 is addressing abuse. Proverbs okay. 17.9 is, is more addressing like, hey, so-and-so confides in you with a sin that they've been struggling with, and then you go and broadcast it to your friend network. Right. That's what right. it says. He who covers a transgression seeks love. Of information. Like, is, like good friends are confidants. You can trust them with your secrets. But... If you find out that abuse is happening and you cover that now, and let's be clear, like that it's, let's say it's clearly abuse. There are two to three witnesses that are confirming this is real. If you find that abuse is happening and you cover that, you perpetuate the abuse. So Proverbs 17, 9 should not be used to uh, conceal the sins of an abuser. 
the sins of an abuser actually, if they're validated by two to three witnesses, they actually need to be broadcast to save people's uh, to save people. Uh, would you guys say that's a a helpful distinction? I I so the the passage you mentioned earlier, the witness of two or three. The, there's a question I have, and I'm, I'm kind of processing live here on the broadcast um, because there are certain kinds of sins that when they're committed, uh, getting two or three witnesses is going to be darn near impossible. And I'm thinking about some of the sexual abuse scandals, some of the um, verbal abuse, uh, those kind of things that cause people to be so, especially if it's done by a leader in the church, they're so traumatizing for the person on the receiving end that sharing their story is terrifying, and so I, I like I I can think of an example from uh, an old my old church actually where somebody was cussed out by a leader, and when she tried to bring that to one of the other leaders, uh, he treated it as though it was gossip and um, and shouldn't be received by her because there wasn't two or three bringing it to him at that time, and so. Uh, she was like devastated, uh, was traumatized and wouldn't talk about it with anybody just left. And, you know, it happened like 10 years ago and only recently shared it with me. And I'm not, I'm not sharing any details that would, uh, expose this person in any way at all. But, but I'm going like, what does a person like that do? Uh, if she shares that story, it, it's, uh, obviously we can't call it gossip, right? It's not a, But does she really need two or three I, I, witnesses? I totally, I totally agree with you. Well, okay, so here's the deal. And I think this is a text that needs to be wrestled with. And I can see Rachel ends in the chat saying this, and, and she's right. Sometimes abuse happens in the dark, and the only witness is the victim. Okay, so, right. so that's totally true. And that creates a, a real challenge, okay? Because we are inerrantists. We believe that the Scripture is inerrant. So in 1 Timothy 5, when it says that you need to have two to three witnesses before you go public with the sin of an elder, but the sin was committed against a single individual in the dark. Josh, what do you do with that? I I mean, I think the law of God gives us insight into this situation. Um, But I mean, fortunately for us, we, we, we push every uh, claim into investigation. So uh, for Christians, if I get a charge on an elder, um, it's, it's happened on this show before where someone has sent us a message and said, hey, um, there have been accusations against someone that you're interviewing right now. Uh, and I said, okay, I want to see the accusations. I want to talk to the people. I want to see the evidence um, to the best of my ability. I'm not asking you to confront that individual. I'm just asking you to present the evidence to me. Um, and were unwilling to do so, or the information that was presented was presented without any names or any kind of cooperation whatsoever. Um, so I think what you have to do is you have to push every every accusation in testing those things. Um, in fact, there was another uh, accusation that's been made recently, <clears throat> but not something uh, specifically in the prophetic space that we're trying to investigate right now. Um, and, and we're interested in in finding the truth on these situations. We don't take every accusation as a truth claim, uh, but we, we treat it as something that will be investigated. And specifically when it ha- has to do with like sexual abuse, things like that, um, those people often need to be watched carefully and or distanced from people that they could be preying upon. So uh, I think there needs to be special attention to accusations to investigate, but also then to protect the individual who's going through um, that specific experience. But right. go ahead, Michael. Uh, sure. Let me just read the relevant text, because I think this will really help us. First Timothy five nineteen and 20. It says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So first of all, there is a place for public rebuke that Paul sets aside in verse 20. Who gets publicly rebuked? Those who persist in sin, those who aren't repentant. But now go back to verse 19. Don't admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Paul's talking to Timothy. So he's saying like, the sort of elder that's going to be subject to any sort of public censure is the elder who has been accused by two to three witnesses and has persisted in unrepentant sin. 
I don't think that that in any way would suggest that somebody who has suffered, say, sexual abuse or just spiritual abuse, and because there's both kinds, that, that somebody who has suffered something sort of in the dark, in the secret that nobody else knows about, but it, it's just them, like they could totally go to another elder and say, this happened to me. And it would be the responsibility of that eldership to run a proper investigation and find out, are there more witnesses who have similar experiences here? Is this the kind of story that we're hearing a lot of? I mean, I've dealt with abusive churches before, and I've, I have found that where there's smoke, there's fire. And if there's one story, you're able to find, if you're able to find five or 10 stories that match the same sort of pattern as that, you can say, okay, this is legit. Now, I'm not suggesting that if, let's say it's a sexual abuse and a female, and it's the only story. I'm not saying that you say, okay, therefore it wasn't true. I'm simply saying that this is Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy, overseer of the church in Ephesus, Paul's advice is you don't have some like public discipline of an elder based on scanty evidence is what he's trying to say. That's you right. run an investigation. And so I would just say the elders of the church in this case would need to run a proper investigation. Are there are there witnesses that can corroborate this kind of story? Are there? Uh, I mean, there there are things that you can do. And since this is a criminal case and not just a pastoral case, uh, it, it it would be incumbent upon the uh, the elders to to take uh, other steps too. So uh, anyway, so those are a few Let, thoughts. Let we've me... we've kind of transitioned, you know, or kind of diverted our conversation from responding to public teaching into kind of abuse areas because there is a lot of overlap. But but we need to be clear when we talk about these things, what it's not, right? So like, what is what is gossip not? Well, it's not rebuking people publicly, right? Because like Paul rebukes Peter publicly in Galatians chapter two, right? He opposes him to his face in the story. You have the the Jewish uh, uh, brothers are, are out and he's hanging out with the Gentiles. Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles and the Jews show up. And then when he, when he sees the circumcision party showing up, Peter retreats from the Gentiles and just hangs out with his Jewish brothers. Uh, and then Paul sees this and rebukes him publicly because of the hypocrisy. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul had been told that there was someone in the church of Corinth who had been in a relationship with his father's wife. And Paul's like, dude, you should have addressed this a long time ago. If I'm hearing about it and you haven't fixed this issue, you're in serious error. Uh, in first or in Second Timothy chapter four, verse fourteen, Paul mentions a guy publicly, the coppersmith, who who took his uh, took advantage of him, right? And, and then mm-hmm. also we have to realize that every not every single, with the exception of like what one or two of Paul's letters are written to correct false doctrine. So Paul's, you know, when he writes to Corinth, it's like there's divisions amongst people, right? So in, in, in first Corinthians in second Corinthians, he's like, Hey, let me write against the super apostles in Galatians. He's like, Hey, let me uh, uh, push against the Judaizers in, in Colossians. He's saying, Hey, these are, you know, second temple Jewish mystics. And let me respond to these guys. And, and every single book that Paul is writing, most of those books are addressing these public teachings that come from public teachers and he's addressing those individuals directly oftentimes so um what what um uh uh, matthew 18 is not telling us is that we can't exercise discernment or public disagreement with other teachers um, because it happens over and over and over in the new testament so that's clearly what it's not saying Uh, do you guys have anything you want to add to that before we move on to the next thing I, yeah, I think we could, we should probably move on to the next thing. I could, there's still a lot that I would love to say about this because I'm thinking about the scenario if somebody were to come to me with an accusation against another elder, I wouldn't then go and tell that elder. Uh, oh, yeah. He's not right away. No way. Which, which that's, that's a common response. That person's out of the room. I'm going to go tell that person what you just said. And that actually re traumatizes people. But I do think we need to move on because we're, we are getting caught up in, in just normal church abuse situations versus defending the idea that a public critique is actually necessary. Uh, especially, and, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast is because this is a major failure in the charismatic movement. And this is a space we we want to be more normative because we think that the overlooking of these bad charismatic practices and bad charismatic teachings is why the charismatic movement is off the rails today. Yeah. So let's go to the next one. I agree. So I I guess the next one is probably uh, Matthew 7, 1 through 3. Um, You've got to read it in the King James Version if you really want to get the way that it's typically used. 
judge not, least ye be judged. No, uh, I'm just going to read it in the ESV. Uh, judge not uh, that you do not, uh, uh, that, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Oftentimes this is used um, when when we uh, will engage or say, hey, um, this prophecy didn't come to pass. Um, uh, you need to be held accountable. You really should repent, repent because you gave this huge public prophecy that this you know political leader was going to win uh, or this blood moon was going to happen at this date and it was going to be super important because of that. Um, you really need to repent of this. And then the response will often be, hey, judge not, brother. The Bible says not to judge or we engage a public teaching and suddenly someone's using Matthew chapter seven, one through three to say that we shouldn't judge. What do you guys think? Is that a good verse? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the last part of the verse actually says that you should judge. Just make sure you <laughs> take the speck out of your eye first. Right. <laughs> right. Like there's a place for judging. Now, <laughs> uh, what's that? I said they always leave that part out. <laughs> yeah, they do. But uh, Paul says this very directly in first Corinthians five and Josh, you mentioned this is one of the verses earlier where uh, where Paul is calling out a dude who's sleeping with his father's wife, which has got to be a really awkward church meeting. Like, hey, meet my girlfriend. Isn't that your mom? Anyway, um, <laughs> so, too soon? Sorry. That was awkward. But, um, too soon for what? <laughs> I couldn't make soon. jokes about this. That so it's been 2,000 years, Michael. Like, <laughs> too soon, y'all, don't know, y'all don't know. Michael will make a joke and almost... 100% of the time, he'll go, too soon? <laughs> like, which just makes it funnier. It's a running joke Josh and I have. Okay, so um, so here, here's what Paul says. In the aftermath of telling them to excommunicate this unrepentant sinner, and, um, and uh, we'll start in verse 11. I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have, what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those on the outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So it's in the context of church discipline, in the context of church leaders deciding, and this is what the binding and loosing of Matthew 18 is actually about, that which was that you bind on earth has been bound in heaven and loosed on earth has been loosed in heaven. And so, uh, and so in, in Matthew 16, he'll call, he'll use the same kind of language to talk about the keys of the kingdom, uh, that the, that the church kind of operates in heaven's authority in matters of discipline. And so God will act to sort of back us in our church discipline. But it's in that context where, where Paul says you actually should judge other believers. Now, there's a difference between saying judge believers and saying be judgmental toward believers. He's not saying condemn them and, and look down your nose upon them. He's not saying be religious and holier than thou toward them. No, he's saying purge the evil person from among you. The unrepentant sinner, the, the church led by the church leadership needs to purge that person from their midst to excommunicate them with the ultimate hope of restoration, reconciliation. Um, and that, that's a whole nother episode. We've done episodes on church discipline before. Uh, but, but the point is, Paul actually says verbatim, you're supposed to judge sin in the church. So I'm going to go with we should judge sin in the church because the Bible says we should judge sin in the church. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I want to talk about the irony, though, just real quick. When people jump on YouTube and say, you guys should not judge, but then they're judging us by telling us that we shouldn't judge. Isn't, isn't the irony like you guys are doing something wrong because you're judging? It's like, then you're doing something wrong by judging me doing something wrong. <laughs> like, it's just such a, it's mm -hmm. just such a cyclical pattern. It doesn't make any sense. And the same thing yeah. can be true of the, of the former when we talked about earlier about uh, confronting a person directly, right? Like when, when people get upset with us and they go, hey, you didn't really Matthew 18 this. It's like, why did you make that a public comment? Like, why didn't you come to me and direct me, message me privately in if, my Facebook if messenger? If that's your perspective on If it. that's your yeah. perspective. Because you just publicly outed me as a sinner just now, right? Like, it, it, these rules only typically in the charismatic space apply to the influential, but not to, you know, not lay people, not to, not to people who have a YouTube channel. It only applies to those who are the super anointed. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Anyway, so th- there's a problem there. Anyway, Miller, you got yeah. something to weigh in? Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm wondering how this fleshes out with um, I'm trying to kind of phrase this. So one of the things that I've said that I I find to be uh, problematic with judging people within the church is when we judge their motivations. Like we presume, we people will call it judgment, but in reality, it's presuming to know what's in their heart. Um, and so, when we talk about judging sin, it's it's sin that's proven. It's not uh, it's not necessarily playing God by presu- by presuming to know what's in the heart of that person. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, yeah. Matters of church discipline and and really even correcting rebuking. I mean, there's a place for rebuking for sure in the scripture, an important place. Um, But we really shouldn't be rebuking things we can't know are actually sin. Like, you know, you're you're just really proud. And uh, like, you can't, you can't excommunicate someone for pride. It's something of the heart. Like, are you sure that they're proud? Or could it be that your massive ego felt threatened by them? Like, you know, so right. um, one of the things we say about church discipline in, in our church, in our membership class, is that it needs to be clear, outward, and I think the other one word is significant, something like that, clear, outward, significant. Like, it it can't be like, uh, and, and maybe unrepentant would be another word, but uh, it, it can't be like, yes, pride, secrets of the heart. Like, we, we can't presu- presume to know those things and then rebuke people for those things. That's that's just wrong, and it, that that itself can be abusive if spiritual leaders are presuming to know the motives of people's hearts. Yeah, I mean, think about yeah. like the Old Testament did, did the same thing. Like when Jesus comes on the scene, it's, it's my belief that Jesus doesn't add anything to the law; he just exposes the heart and intention of the law. So when he says, "When you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery," he's telling a true statement. If you have lust in your heart, you are committing adultery. Um, but you weren't to take people outside and stone them if they had lust in their heart. You're only supposed to take them outside and stone them if they commit adultery outside of their heart, right? So I think the church practices church discipline the same way that the people of Israel, in, in some sense, pulling from those principles, we're only judging things that are taking place outside, not internal contents of the heart. And, and I, would, I would give you a little example of what this looks like in practice. It's when someone says, hey, you did this, and you did it because of this. Here's why you did it. Well, the why part, you don't actually know, and you shouldn't presume to know that. That's actually something only God knows. He's the only one who knows the human heart. And so you can point out the behavior, and then you can say, why did you do that? Like, I'd love to know. I, I want to understand. And that's a great way to go about it. Um, the, the presuming to know people's motivations, it can get very dicey, and it's always going to create conflict, uh, unresolved conflict, further conflict. Okay, yep. so maybe we should wrap up the show just talking about what it means. Like, here's a proverb. Well, you, I said proverbs here. That might not be the one, right one I was looking for. But in Galatians, right, chapter five, nineteen through twenty one, talks about the what what is the lust of the flesh, right? He talks it, contrasting it, the works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit, or the fruit of the spirit. He says the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, and then he says these things rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Those are the three that I kind of want to focus on. He also mentions envy, drunkenness, and some other things. But when we talk about those three areas, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, how how should we be careful when combating public teachings, um, disagreeing with people publicly without violating into these areas of rivalries, dissensions, or divisions? That's, that's something I'd be interested in before we wrap yeah. everything up today. Man, and and here's just another, I'll I'll go to the Proverbs, because this is the one that always gets me, Proverbs 6. There's six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. The fact that sowing discord among brothers fits into the same category as those who shed innocent blood. And in fact, it's the seventh, which makes it the, the sort of climactic one in the list, like sowing discord among your brothers. It, it's like, wow. I mean, so the Lord really does hate sowing division. He really does hate it. Um, 
And and yet there can be an occasion for it. Jesus says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword and to divide father from, and mother and brother and sister and children, all the like, because Christ is always first. And so if Christ is first, it, it will at times cause this division. And so like, how do you sort through this to answer your question? Uh, like, when is it like I'm choosing Christ and by choosing Christ and truth, this is going to cause me to do something that someone else is not going to like. Okay, so that's one side. And then on the other side, when am I just being careless and sowing discord? And man, I just, I think for me, um, Isaiah 66, to be one who trembles at God's word, to be one who fears the Lord. Like, I don't want to just be throwing criticisms out. Like, I want to deeply feel it and have deeply thought through it and have deeply researched and have come to the conclusion this actually needs to be public because it's causing some real harm. I want to I want to arrive at that conclusion prayerfully. I I look at, you know, Jesus's confrontations with the Pharisees that were very public. Um these were not willy-nilly like half-baked like this this was, I mean, the fair, the Pharisees were devouring widows' homes. It was very clear, very outward. Uh, they were despising the people. He saw that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. His heart broke for them, and and so I just, I think, just a trembling and a fear before the Lord and uh, His Word just makes me want to say, you know what? On I, I don't want to just throw stuff out there willy nilly, but at the same time, I know because of the examples I have in God's Word. I have to have courage to say what needs to be said, to be a person of the light. I need to expose that which is in the darkness. And I don't think there's this perfect answer except a fear of the Lord. I, I, I'm, this verse is a sh- troublesome one for me. Uh, one, it was, thing, it was what I was accused of, sowing discord. Um, and so that it's, it's a personal one to me. But then also, like my understanding of it, so I'm really going to phrase this. What does sowing discord look like in practice? Um, my conception of it is this idea of someone who is uh, an insecure person, perhaps, that needs to divide people because if I can make them enemies of one another, then I'm in the clean always. Um, mm. And so I, because I think what is being called sowing discord is not always real sowing discord i i for instance one of the other verses that gets used a lot is a bitter root defiles many and what fails to be talked about when they use that verse is that the bitter root is oftentimes false teaching if you look throughout the old testament like it does defile and one of the things that certainly does sow discord is false teaching as well so um I, I, I have a lot of questions about this and not a lot of clarity. And I, I even, I'm, I'm even scared to say that cause I don't want, yeah. And it's personal. I think I, you know, so, this is part of the effect of gaslighting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. For me, I, I'm, I'm using all of these other passages. Like I'm using Matthew 18. I'm going, okay, I've got Matthew 18 in my mind. And then I have like not touching the Lord's anointed. Okay. I want to honor people who are in leadership and I actually want to do that. Well, not just, like the letter of it, like not murdering them, but like, I want to, I want to follow that. But then I also have all of these examples of Jesus publicly rebuking Paul, publicly rebuking the apostles, engaging with false teachings and false doctrines. And then I go, man, sowing discord divisions, rivalries is never confronting sin, right? Like you shouldn't put those two things together. If you're, if someone is confronting sin or confronting false teaching and the response to that is you're, you're being divisive. It's like, no, actually they're teaching something that is, that is, that is, uh, contrary to sound doctrine. And by teaching something that's contrary to sound doctrine, they're causing people to be divided. They're causing the division. And I'm actually coming in to correct immorality. I'm coming in to correct false teaching in order to bring the church back into oneness or wholeness or unity. So uh, I I don't think that if someone is going around trying to respond to teachings, respond, helping people accountable, right? When the Bible says to judge prophecy, uh, right? You, to hold what is good, reject what is evil, test everything, don't despise it. But when someone says, well, you're causing divisions by testing prophecy, no, you're causing divisions by telling me not to obey the scriptures, right? Like you're, you're, you're doing something that is diverting from the norm of what we're commanded to do. So I, I would say if, if there is a, a division, if there is, if there's strife or quarrelsomeness, you should never look at that thing 
as as uh, as the same as confronting sin or confronting error, which is something we're explicitly commanded to do. So just never get those two things confused, and I think you'll be fine. Um, yep. Okay, guys. Any other closing thoughts as we wrap things up? Um, yeah, I just thought of this one. Later in Proverbs 6, it says, A false witness who declares lies and one who spreads strife among brother uh, is brother to one who spreads, spreads strife. Um, so it connects lies and strife spreading. So if someone wants to accuse you of spreading strife because you're standing on biblical truth, like uh, they're not really getting it. They're not getting like what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about strife. If there's going to be division, let it be because I stood on the word of God. That's what mm. it, if that leads to division with some Good. people, but it will lead to unity amongst the, the people of yes. God who are walking with God and walking in the light. It will lead to unity in that context, but it's a false unity that lets lies and sin be promoted in the name of let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. That's not real unity. If there's mm-hmm. going to be division, let it be because I stood on scripture. Jeez Louise, you brought a sword. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the sword. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Remnant Radio. Um, I, I want to let you know if you don't register for this conference, then you're touching the Lord's anointed and <laughs> God will have to strike you down. I'm just kidding. There's like I'm just 30 kidding. Something spots. There's like 30 something spots left in this conference. Not just, many spots but, left. If, if, if even a third of you guys decided. Away? That you were going to register, yeah. we would be we'd be over overfull. So uh, only had a few spots at the beginning of the show. They might have already registered out. We don't know. So uh, only thirty spots left. Go register. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful conference. Uh, Dawson, uh, myself, Michael Miller, Michael Roundtree will all be there. Uh, we'll be teaching on healing and deliverance. You need to check it out. You need to register. It's going to be a blast. Uh, make sure to subscribe, like the video, help share this to your favorite charismatic who doesn't know how to confront sin without being divisive. This might be helpful for them. Uh, anyway, uh, blessings, guys. Make <laughs> too, sure to like, share, subscribe soon, if you want to support the cha- channel. There are links in the description. Without further ado, we'll see you next time, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.